Welcome to Short Course, episode 57, for April 12th, 2019. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I was reading the book The Dichotomy of Leadership this week by Jocko Willink, and one of the stories that he was telling in there was talking about a, a particular exercise, a particular training exercise that the SEALs were going through, where basically the, the training exercise ended up being entirely too difficult, and it just overwhelmed the team that was being trained, and they, they didn't really learn anything from it. And I thought there were two interesting lessons in that. The first being, and this applies directly to training, that training can be too hard and you can have too much going on and you you have to isolate and train just at the right level. Um, If you make the training too easy, then you don't learn anything. If you make it too hard, then you also don't learn anything. And this is something, there's another book called Flow that talks about this and the idea of being in that that right state between what you can do without really conscious effort and what you can do with real strain and then the things that are just outside of your ability and you can't learn from. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting was just the idea that even Navy SEALs, the best of the best, running their own training on familiar ground, don't always get it right. And even they, there's there's room for better and worse. There's room for improvement. There are people that learn things and then they leave and the new guys have to come in and figure it out all on their own. And this got the gears turning in my head because I kind of think this is a bit of a an awkward comparison. It's not sort of where I was going when, when I came up with this topic, but as I'm actually talking it through, I'm realizing that I'm about to compare Navy SEALs to USPSA Grandmasters, which that's not at all the comparison I want to make, but the thing that I do want to draw out is that I think there are a lot of things that people think about grandmasters that aren't true or are we wish were true. There are things that people think about me as a grandmaster that I wish was true, but just isn't. You know, things like I think most people think that most grandmasters know how to shoot. They got it all. They got it all figured out. They know how to do everything right, and they just gotta you know step up to the plate and do it. And I think in in some ways, yes, I think to get to GM, in my experience, not just from having gotten there myself, but from talking to a lot of different GMs and and just been around and been on squads and talked to people, you do figure some things out. You do figure out the things that obviously don't work. But this idea that by the time you, you make it to a certain level in classification, whether it's M or GM or anything else that you've got it all figured out and and you're not changing anything and you're just you're just making the same moves over and over again. It's not true. And I think I think that's an easy thing to believe and I wish it was true, but it isn't. In my experience, the the better I've gotten, and this has been all the way from C class where I started all the way up to to where I am now, as I practice something more, I invariably find that there are more levels of detail and there's more nuance to it. And unfortunately for me, I don't know if this is a universal experience, but what I find most of the time is I'll discover some nuance and then I'll I'll sort of second guess myself and the, the skill will suddenly become very conscious. And I, I actually, I cannot replicate the way that I was doing it before. So, so in some ways, I, I've actually forgotten how to do things. Because it used to be that I would draw the gun, or I would grip the gun, or I would pull the trigger, or I would align the sights in a very subconscious but repeatable way. And once I start discovering some little nuance about it, and, and I become very hyper-consciously aware of that new thing, then I I can't turn that off. And so I, I can only do that in a conscious mode 
until I figure out sort of a new way to, to, to tackle whatever the, the technique is. And until that time, performance on that particular skill is actually degraded. And so in some ways, I actually, the, the way I describe it somewhat humorously is I, I forget how to do things sometimes, but it's in reality, it's making that transition from something that was subconscious at a, let's say, moderate level of skill to becoming super conscious at ideally a higher level of skill. So I'll discover some nuance and some way to do that thing better, some element of focus to add to my training, and then I'll be able to work on that thing. And and once that new level is subconscious again, then it's better. But in that moment, I I actually cannot perform that skill as well as I could six months ago because I've become hyper-conscious of it. And that's, I mean, that, that's been happening all along, but I think if anything, it's happened more since I made GM in uh, the spring of 2017. So coming up on two years now. And I mean, I definitely will say that while I was in 2016, when I had my goal of making GM, I was focusing on a very few number of skills. And then when I came back from that and I was just sort of generally dry firing in the, the spring of 2017. And then when I actually made GM and I realized now I, I can't just practice classifier skills. Now I have to practice the whole sport. And that's actually that's actually way more intimidating than, than it, you might think. Um, th- there's something comforting in really only having to do a couple of things really, really fast. The Actually getting good at the whole sport is, is a much more daunting task. Now that said, obviously, I am interested in, in that challenge and I enjoy <laughs> gaining proficiency at the rest of the sport. But there is something to be said for the the narrow focus, the, the, the laser-like precision that you can get from just focusing on classifier skills. And to a certain degree, that goes away when you become a GM. You got to be good at everything. Now, that said, I think one of the other things that people think about GMs that people have said to me is, oh, well, you don't have to worry about classifiers anymore. And here again, I wish that were true, but I, I shot an 82% classifier at the match on Saturday. And like, that still bothers me. I, I'm, I have this card that says I'm a GM, but if I can't shoot classifiers like a GM, what the heck does that mean? Now, there, there are two caveats that I'll make to that. One is that I, my, my excuse kind of is that I really haven't been working on classifier skills in particular. I've been really working, actually, practically speaking, I've been working much more fundamental techniques mostly related to drawing, gripping, and, and pulling the trigger, but not necessarily, you know, up close, really fast shooting, but but really more recoil control and follow-up shots. So trying to make it so that I'm not, you know, my I, I can actually transition to a target and then shoot two shots at it fairly quickly instead of transitioning, shooting the first shot while the gun's still in motion, and then having to settle the gun back down for the second shot. You know, so like one of the things I've been working on is transition to the target, let the gun stop, then shoot. And that way, when it recoils, it recoils straight up and down. Whereas if it's still moving left to right, when you shoot the gun, now it's recoiling up and in the direction it was still moving, which actually makes it slower. Anyway, so I'm not working on classifier skills. But that said, this, so on the, I mean, on this particular classifier run, it was, it was fast enough. If I, so I, it was a, it was an eight shot classifier and I shot four Charlies and four alphas and they were good groups. It's just, they were on the alpha Charlie line on, and then the the headshot was two Charlie low in the, in the head box. And so if it had been four alpha, it would have been like a 99%, but it was four, or sorry, if it had been eight alpha, it would have been a 99%, but it was four alpha, four Charlie. And so 
I mean, <laughs> you know, that stuff like that still bothers you. That that doesn't go away. Um, and you know, I'm not trying to um, say woe is me or anything, but I think people, you know, people think that once you once you attain this goal, that all the weight just lifts off you, and that at least in that respect, that that really has not been my experience. Another thing that I think people sort of offhandedly assume about GMs is that they only want to shoot with other GMs. And, you know, because, I mean, look at Nationals. Everybody shoots on the Super Squad. Everybody loves the Super Squad, don't they? Well, actually, if you watch the Super Squad, if you if you just go and hang out, I mean, everybody's nice, but it's it's not exactly back-slapping, rollicking good time. It's everybody's there to, to to do a job. This is this is something that everybody there takes very seriously. Nobody's messing around with each other. Nobody's cracking a lot of jokes. It's it's. I think it's not what people imagine it would be. Certainly, not that I've been on the super squad. I've just hung out around them. You know, when they're shooting on the other shift and that sort of thing. But I what what my personal experience is is that I want to shoot with people who are hungry and curious and want to get better, and want to ask questions, and don't just want to complacently sort of stay in the groove that they're in. And I'll be honest, there are, there are GMs out there who are quite content at the groove that they're in, and they just, they're just trying to, you know, just grind it out and just get a little bit better, but they're not really asking hard questions and really taking their techniques down to the bedrock kind of the way that I am. And I know that I'm on the, on the analytical side of the spectrum, and I know that. That's fine. Not everybody is like that, and I think in fact, it's probably more productive to be a little bit less analytical and just put in the time and do the work. That's something I've been struggling with, but that's neither here nor there. But when it comes to shooting on a squad, whether it's at a local match or at a major match, I, I find it's much more interesting to talk to people who ask interesting questions and who are interested in learning something and changing their game. And there are GMs out there that are like that, where you can have a really good conversation and a back and forth and they can open your mind. And then there are other folks of all classifications where you have a conversation with them and they'll kind of tell you what they think and you can tell them what you think and they aren't really that interested and they just kind of nod and then go away. And the conversation was very, I don't want to say unproductive, but it doesn't, it, no, nobody really got much of anything out of it. And that's fine. Everybody's at the, at the sport for a different reason. But when I'm looking for who is interesting to squad with, who helps me grow and who I can help maybe unlock something or, or show them something they haven't seen before because it's, it's a two way street. You, I, I genuinely don't think you can teach somebody something without being willing to learn from them as well. I, I think, I think somebody who is just trying to shove information in a one way street fundamentally, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I want to be on a squad with somebody who's going to point something out to me that, that I might not have seen. And a lot of times that's just because I'm looking at the stage with the eyes of someone who's seen however many hundreds of stages in my life. And so I just kind of assume certain patterns. And and when somebody who's, it's their 10th match, and they say, oh, but you can see this guy from over there. And I'm like, what? No, they wouldn't have built the stage that way. That doesn't make any sense to build the stage that way. But they did build the stage that way. And when I get over there and I look at it, then it turns out that that is a viable shot. And I can sort of do the mental calculus of if my competition is going to take that shot, is it a big enough advantage that I can, can I not take that? And sometimes it's just the way you have to shoot it. But in, in my experience, 
those are the kinds of things that I tend to sort of get into a rhythm and miss. So whether it's looking at a stage and and seeing targets from a different angle or just having to, you know, having someone ask me a question about, oh, how are you going to negotiate this door prop that opens a drop turner? There's something about sort of being willing to talk it through and, and try and share my plan, but also, you know, try and impart perhaps some wisdom but it also helps me to sort of think through it and put it into words. I mean, this was this was definitely an experience that I had teaching classes last year is that there were there were a lot of things that as a shooter I had either read once and internalized or just sort of stumbled on and really never formally put into words that when I had to explain it for the first time, it forced me to justify it. It was something that I intuitively felt, but I had to I had to put a framework and a justification around why something was this way. And that helped me to clarify my thinking and to gain a, a higher level of nuance in, into my own techniques. And so it really almost doesn't even matter the classification of the person because you can have somebody who is really motivated and really engaged and turned on and asking good questions who started in the sport six months ago and they're still getting used to the gun going off and they're still getting their gear squared away. But they can still ask you interesting questions and and draw those things out. And on the other hand, I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of conversations with people who are, you know, really good in the sport, they they tend to be fairly straightforward. I mean, I've I've had a, a number of conversations on the range where I'll just either someone will come up to me or I'll go up to somebody and say, "Hey, so are you going to do X or Y?" and they'll just say Y and I'll go, "Okay, cool." And, or I might ask them, you know, oh, what do you think about this target? And they'll say, yeah, I'm going to take him on the way in. And I was planning on taking him on the way out. And, but it, I realize the, the, the differences in the plan are very minor. And so there really isn't that much to talk about. We both kind of have our plans. There's not a lot of reason to, to go one way or another. And so the conversation actually ends up not being that interesting because we've both sort of computed out all the different solutions and we know that they're sort of two equivalent ways. And if one of us is going one way and one of us is going the other, then, well, they're equivalent solutions. So there's really no point in, in discussing back and forth. But as long as, as long as it's between those two solutions and neither of us is taking some third path that the other didn't see, then that that's really the point of the conversation. And so it, it resolves very quickly in a lot of cases. Something else that I think on the, on the topic of GMs is that this, this idea that, oh, well, you know, once you're a GM, then you're just like all the other GMs and you're on this equal playing field. And maybe this is unproductive, but I, I still, in my mind, I break GMs down into three rough categories, and those are local, regional, and national level GMs. So your local GM is somebody who can probably win state champion at their own state match, and they can hold their own at, you know, a state level match. This is, this is where I put myself. So yes, they're a GM. They'll probably win any local match that they go to if there's not someone else of M or GM level talent around, but they're, they're winning most of the club matches they go to, and they can usually at least win state champion at their state match, if not high overall. You have regional GMs, which are the guys who will go to a couple state matches around their state, or maybe travel a few states away to shoot a state match and go and win those. And so they'll usually win their state match and then start traveling and maybe go be competitive at an area match, maybe win an area match. And then the the sort of third tier are national GMs. And those are the guys that are making top 16 at nationals. The guys that if, I mean, if they sign up for your level two state match, 
you're you know they're going to win like it's really not a question anymore it's just what you know what percentage of them are you going to come in and so in the back of my mind just from sort of personal experience around the the region that I live in I kind of know who the the local GMs are who the regional GMs are and then I mean the national level guys are usually known at at a national level they're the guys like I said they're they're winning or coming in top 16 at nationals winning area matches that kind of thing and I don't say this to bag on myself. I, I say it because I think it just draws out the fact that yes, yes, everybody has the same classification within these three categories, but within that classification, we all kind of know where each other stands. And every once in a while, you'll have somebody that you're not, that you've never shot with before, and you're like, oh, okay, like he's pretty good. He's coming in at this level. And so to use this rubric, if I were to try and move up this ladder, then I would want to start registering and shooting all the state matches and all the states around me and really try and put some focus into winning those and then shoot my area match, maybe shoot one or two other area matches. And then of course, at the end of the year nationals, as it is, I would say I'm not quite trying to make moves in that direction. And a lot of that is just the the way things are going in, in my life right now and the, the level of commitment to sort of travel versus practice, because I don't know. I mean, now that I say it, now that I think about it, if you really want to break through to the next level, I'm, I don't, I don't know. This is an interesting question that I would be curious uh, to get some thoughts on from people who take a different strategy. So as I mentioned before on the podcast, I am shooting. So I shot the South Carolina state match. That's a level two match. I will inevitably be shooting the North Carolina state match, but now that it's actually scheduled and actually happening, which wasn't a guarantee for a while, uh, I'm sure I will be shooting that in some capacity, but um, whether I'll be helping out or running around or working staff or working a stage is is still up in the air right now. So I, I don't, I'm not really looking at that as a competitive match. I'm looking at that as sort of an opportunity to put on a match that shows what we think of USPSA here in North Carolina and put our best foot forward and and that's really kind of more important than, than my personal performance. So if we count that one out, yes, I'll be shooting it. But if we count it out as sort of a pure competitive match, I'm, I'm only shooting South Carolina and Nationals this year. And that was a, that was a deliberate choice because I'm sort of putting my, my chips down behind the idea that by saving my energy and traveling to fewer matches and having more time to practice and, and really refine the details and be able to be on the range and and not have whole weekends where I'm driving, you know, eight hours to to shoot a match and eight hours back and basically spending 48 hours on the road to to shoot 300 rounds or something and potentially being able to, to practice more, just given my schedule and not being able to practice very much during the week. That's the strategy. That's the, the conscious strategy that I'm choosing for the year. And I mean, in theory, if it pays off and I get significantly better this year and then I sign up for a bunch of state matches next year, then I could potentially be in that regional class, but I don't. I don't actually know how important it is to to in an ongoing basis go around and be shooting those those matches. I mean, once you've once you've shot a couple level twos and you've got the experience under your belt, I don't actually know how much shooting the matches makes you better at shooting those matches. In the same way that the best way to get better at shooting level one matches is not necessarily to shoot a lot of level one matches. Once you have the, the general feel of it, that's usually good enough. So I don't know, but suffice it to say, if somebody were in that, that regional tier and they were training their way up to the national tier, if they were to show up to 
a state match that wasn't their state and take high overall, that would pretty clearly say, okay, like they're in that, that regional tier. How's that really helpful? Eh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not really looking at it as a sort of skill advancement in that way. I just, it's just more the fact that I think people may have the idea that, you know, once you're GM, you're, you're in with the cool kid crowd. And at least to me, not, not obviously I'm on the bottom rung of the cool kid crowd ladder in this tech, in this scenario. Um, but you know, there's still, there are still gradations, even if they're not recognized in the classification system formally, I think people, people know people see, they look at match results and, and word gets around about that kind of stuff. Well, that wraps up this episode of short course. If you want to support the podcast, consider buying a shirt at barryshooting.com slash shop. You can follow me on Instagram at bsberry or on Facebook at Ben Barry Shooting. My email is podcast at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.